Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here this week talking about UFC 290 going down at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, with a pair of title fights top Alexander Volkanovsky, Yair Rodriguez, Brandon Moreno versus Alexandre Pantoja, and uh, a, a pretty much complaint-free card, right? I mean, finally. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We've been through enough. We we can complain about how much we've been compl- having to complain lately. That's exactly it. Yeah. At this point, like, uh, yeah, you can't give me anything good without me being resentful about how long it's been, you know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm not going to complain about the actual lineup of this card, especially not the main card, which is yeah, just absolutely fire, basically. Yep. Fantastic. Uh, you know, it sucks that uh, Bo Nickel, Treshawn Gore, it sucks that Treshawn Gore is out, but like this isn't going to be a different fight. Treshawn no. Gore was not brought in to be a big challenge for Bo Nickel. No, at this point, I don't care who Bo Nickel is fighting. He's interesting because he's yep. a prospect with a great specialty. And it's not like I want to see him fighting people that I know particularly sure. because it's too soon. Yeah. Anyone I know is guaranteed to be too experienced for it to be a safe matchup for Bo Nickel. It looks like they're trying to develop him. I say good on them for that. Yeah. If he has any potential, it should be uh, realized carefully. And yeah, that that picket fight should be a, you know, Nickel obviously has a a, a ton of confidence to himself, but it should be a little tiny hint in the back of his mind that the learning curve is about to get a lot steeper than he's used to. Yeah. Cause he really did have to kind of knee Jamie Pickett in the balls to get him off his game enough to get that first <laughs> takedown. Yeah. No kidding. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I like seeing Bo nickel. I like seeing him developed as a prospect probably should be. Uh-huh. And, uh, that works. And then the other four fights on the main card are phenomenal. Yeah. So, all really, really good. Looking good. Yeah. So, I mean, we really, we just have a lot of cool fights to talk about. It's always, it's always cards like this that sets the standard. And then people are like, oh, how can you complain about the other? Like, we just had this. Look, look, yeah. I got, I got filet mignon Tuesday. That's right. And, and now you, you're handing me like a bag of McDonald's and you're being like, it's everywhere. And it, it's always the same. You should love it. You know, I don't like when people make those comparisons because, I mean, I don't eat McDonald's very often, but every time I do, I'm like, this is really good. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's also kind of the way, though, that a lot of these cards end up, too, though, is that, like... It's it's more like it's more like having one of those, like, 
those like cereals that old people eat that just like destroy the inside of your mouth, <laughs> except it can't be healthy for you either. Uh, you know, it's like I had I had filet mignon. I had a ribeye Tuesday, and now four days later, I'm eating muesli. gravel. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I don't like gravel, even <laughs> when I haven't had filet mignon, and now I have to compare the two. So yeah. Thank you. All right, all right. Well, we got to talk about this card, and th- especially this main event here. Alexander Volkanovsky back in the saddle, back down at featherweight. Yep. Still filled with belief and rightful belief that he could contend and win the lightweight title. Sure. But for the moment, back here doing the uh, doing his. I guess it's like it's almost like husbandly duties, right, to the division. Like, <laughs> does he really want to be at featherweight? I, I think he still does. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, kinda. But yeah, now I, he I there's think... responsibilities here. He's got to like take care of the division, and you well, know, well, his, his his wife has got something, some crazy lingerie prepared for him, or something because. Exactly. It's not like this is a fight that you can overlook. As no, no, champion. it really isn't. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, even immediately after that Islam Makhachev fight, I was like, he's probably fighting Yair next, and uh-huh. I think there's some cause to be concerned about that fight. I think this is, um, this is a matchup where you pretty much have to pick Volkanovski. Yeah. Because he's Volkanovski. Um, and because there are some obvious flaws in Rodriguez's game, which which Alex can absolutely exploit, and yet it just seems exceedingly dangerous. Yeah, I think the thing that that Yair has proved over ever since that Frankie Edgar fight, really, yeah. where he just got worked, but ever since that bout, he has proved that there is no. You the you know, the flaws are still there, the liabilities are still there, but there is no easy way to beat him anymore. No, no, there, no, nobody, nobody since Frankie has an easy fight with Yair. Yeah, and he will be fast, and he will be wild, and he will be surprising and creative, and he will do it for every minute of every round. And so, if you are at all interested in trying to catch your breath or give him a little space or just try and take your foot off and sit on your lead for a minute. Yeah. He will be there to do something that puts a real scare into you. Yeah. And, and while the flaws are still there, um, he has also gotten better. Yeah. You know, mostly in the ways we talk about this fairly often, mostly in, in like, um, the, the the sort of more nuanced ways that fighters get better when they just do it long enough. Yeah, like clearly Yair has a much better sort of feel for uh, the rhythm of exchanges than he used to. Mm-hmm. He is no longer so like wild and flailing the moment somebody gets inside on him. His shots are much straighter. He doesn't have great defensive technique, but his feel for when he is defensively vulnerable is vastly better than it used to be. Yep. 
And so you can watch something like that Max Holloway fight and be like, yeah, he's putting himself out of position. Like he keeps leaning back. Uh, he's crossing his feet. And yet Max didn't have an altogether easy time just landing clean shots on him um, while Yair was trying to reset because he was resetting with those counters in mind. Yeah, and he's and he's fast. He's just he's, really he can get fast. away, yeah, with a huge amount of uh, right idea, wrong execution because he's probably one of the very best athletes in the sport. He's yeah. super fast. He's light on his feet. He has a titanium chin. Um, he has the kind of power that that snappy speed delivers. Um, yeah, he's, he's basically just got it all as a, as a physical specimen and he is a much more experienced fighter than he used to be. And therefore he is like surprisingly savvy in his yeah. fights now, uh, while also just being willing to be a goddamn maniac mm -hmm. as we saw in the Josh Emmett fight where yep. he like, he saw one little glint of weakness one little chink in the armor and was like, I'm just going to go absolutely ham and smash you uh, because you have shown me your belly and mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't, you don't get away with that. Yeah. Uh, did it involve him running into Josh Emmett's huge right hand? Yes. It <laughs> even hurt. It even hurt him a little bit. Yeah. Didn't put him down. Didn't really change the momentum of the fight. That nope. just goes to show uh, how durable he is and how, capable he is of just uh, maximizing any small momentum shift with that like raw physical presence. Um, I think the thing to be particularly concerned about here for Volkanovsky is Yair's kicking game. Yeah. This was very effective for Islam Makachev mm -hmm. uh, as a southpaw, which Yair is a switch hitter, but I fully expect him to to play a lot of southpaw in this fight. That left body kick, left high kick switch up gave Volkanovsky some serious trouble. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to think that probably he just wasn't as well prepared for it in that case. He would be a fool to come into a fight with Yair without having really drilled a number of responses to that, that idea. Mm -hmm. But um, it was effective. And, uh, you know, everyone Volkanovsky fights basically has a reach advantage on him. I think Yair is probably like as big as Islam. What is he? 5'11". Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. he's an inch taller. He's Max Holloway's height. Um, and yeah, like that is a serious threat while you're still kind of working out the kinks in your, your distance management that you're going to have to deal with the kicks, especially because Volkanovsky himself is usually heavily reliant on his own kicking game. Yeah. Which I think could be a strength. Like, uh, often it is a very good idea to try to put your mark on the opponent's ideal range. Mm -hmm. But um, it's going to be a very dangerous place to hang out. And Volkanovsky, you know, in that lowered stance, likes to get under punches a lot, likes to uh, slip punches a lot to counter. He is definitely going to have to be worried about the possibility of ducking into a head kick. Yeah. And until that happens, uh, if it happens, the body kick is just going to be a constant threat, even if he blocks it. They are huge, powerful shots that Yair can throw from a range where Volk is just not as effective. Yeah. 
Oh, um, good, good and true. Yeah. So that's something to be concerned about. I would say the main thing not to be concerned about is the possibility of out wrestling Yair Rodriguez. Yeah. I expect to see a fairly wrestling heavy approach from Volkanovsky this time around because it just seems pretty plain that that is, um, it's just the least sort of chaotic part of Yair's game to, to, to deal with. It's also the thing that no matter the speed he has and the dexterity, his bad footwork exactly just yeah. leaves him open to being taken down. Yeah. And, and he will also do crazy stuff that will yeah. allow takedowns just sort of incidentally, like the Josh Emmett got on top of him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, granted, Yair submitted Josh, who was, it has to be said, badly hurt and completely gassed at that point. Yeah. But uh, the reason he went down is because he went for a flying knee, because Yair loves to do crazy improvis- I- I- improvisational stuff like that. And, he also, I mean, um, he got y- Yair down, like, immediately in that fight, too. That's true. He did, he did just, like, blast double him, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Yair putting himself out of position, it's just impossible for him to be, um, even with his speed, to be ready to to stop a strong take-in attempt immediately all the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, like Volkanovsky showed against Brian Ortega, who I think everyone would agree is a more venomous submission threat than Yair Rodriguez mm-hmm. uh, from more positions that, yes, he can get caught, but... He simply refuses to get submitted. Yeah. And he has zero qualms about being threatened by a submission and continuing to work from top position. If anything, in the Ortega fight, the fact that Brian tried to submit him appeared to piss Volkanovsky off and make him want to smash Ortega from top position all the more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's still some danger there. That's Yair is just dangerous everywhere, but... I have to assume Volkanovsky is going to try to wrestle him and try to beat him up and break him down from top position. If there is anything of the old Yair still there, I think that's where it's it's going to be brought to the surface because he got smashed by Frankie Edgar on the ground. Mm-hmm. He is still, as we saw against Emmett, willing to play guard. Yep. Granted, he does it aggressively, which you need to do, but... It's still not a a great strategic decision most of the time. Yeah, his defensive, his first layer of defensive reactions are mostly still bad everywhere. He's fast enough and durable enough to scramble out of a lot of bad mistakes. Yeah, but you know there there was a really solid moment in that Emmett fight where Emmett was on his back, just dropping hammers on him. Yeah. With the air like turtled up, yeah, because he had scram- he had gotten taken down and scrambled himself into a bad position. Mm-hmm. Now the fact he could just eat those shots and get up and be like, "Okay, we're back to our fight." Mm-hmm. That that's always going to be a problem. But there's no there there aren't much that, if any mistake free Yair Rodriguez performances when it comes to his defensive game. No. He's incapable of not making defensive yeah. mistakes. Um, I mean, no fighter is capable of fighting perfectly no, no, with but, their defense, but Yair 
there there is no way for him to be a perfect defensive fighter. He doesn't have that level of defensive skill. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, there was the Frankie Edgar fight where he got crushed and gassed, mm-hmm. uh, being beaten up in these grappling positions. And we do we say that's like the last bad performance of your years. But I would also point to the first fight with Jeremy Stevens, which ended, I think, due to an eye poke in 15 seconds. Am I thinking of the second fight? You're thinking of the second fight. The first fight ended in just 15 seconds. Yes. Just immediate eye poke trash in the arena. That's right. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, yes. I'm definitely thinking of the second fight where Yair, you know, recovered, got to yep. win, but was also clearly starting to gas. Oh, yeah. Jeremy Stevens outland- doubled up on him in the third round of that fight. Yeah, he gassed. And I think it was largely because of the frenetic grappling that took mm-hmm. place in that fight. Uh, Jeremy also managed to take him down and Yair had to play guard and he just had to deal with a lot of pressure. And I think we can see that Yair basically has limitless stamina when it comes to striking. Yeah. Max Holloway couldn't tire him out. That crazy uh, high elevation fight with Alex Caceres. Uh, you know, he did a million spinning moves and ran around at 8,000 feet above sea level and never got tired. Mm-hmm. But we have twice seen him seriously flag uh, when tested in the grappling. Yeah. And... Um, so I think that there's a distinct possibility that still is possible, uh, that that could still happen, and that Volkanovski should probably try to leverage that possibility to his advantage. Yeah, I think the big thing to me is that assuming both men have the kind of fight that they are prone to having, I don't think that there's any way that we don't get that fight where Volkanovsky is on top of Yaya Rodriguez for significant amounts of time, just because yeah, like Yair moving backwards is pretty much always going to get taken down. If you if you can bully him yeah. with pressure, yeah, he is going to end up on the ground. And I think more than in any other fight, that is what Volkanovsky has to do. He has yes. to pressure. And but it's also something that he's perfectly, perfectly comfortable doing. And if, if he gets the opportunity to pressure, he will pressure. Like he, he knew that he had to pressure the hell out of Islam Makachev. Yeah. And he did a lot of that too. And Makachev is a lot more (laughs) of a a problem when you're moving forward than Yair is a problem when you're moving forward. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think in that fight, he could probably stand to be less crazily committed to pressure if they have a rematch. And use his excellent range boxing game. Yeah. Um, You know, make Makachev was that fight had the reverse dynamic of so many fights where Makachev was getting hit a lot more when he was coming forward and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a big part of that, too, was just also for Volk that like so happens with so many really great wrestlers that are actually good fighters. Yes. Vol, you know, Volk is like, okay, I need to pressure him to keep to stop his shot, to stop him from hitting easy takedowns. And I have to, but I have to worry about his shot. I have to worry yeah, exactly. about the wrestling. So there was a lot of keep keeping your eyes on all levels at once and just taking the shots to the head yeah. because because no question, his striking looked a lot more cumbersome in that fight than it has in 
any of the other fights in like yeah. the three years leading up to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, definitely. He was hyper fixated on the takedown until he started to realize later in the fight that he could actually out wrestle Islam. Yeah. Which was a surprise to everyone. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that exact game plan would be a very good idea against Jair. It it worries me somewhat that Volk um, clearly like likes striking off the back foot. Mm-hmm. But you can see in that fight that when he thinks it's the right idea to pressure, he'll do it. He will game yeah. plan for that and he will stick to it uh, doggedly. And yeah. I, I think that's definitely what he needs to do here. And I think assuming he does that, he mutes some of the kicking threat. Not entirely. No. Max Holloway pressured the hell out of the air, and he's just so fleet-footed and agile. He was able to fire off a lot of kicks even when being kind of driven around the cage. Yeah, no, he's so so good at, like, just flicking a leg up and uh, at an odd angle to get to the head or body. Yeah. That even, even when moving backwards, you know, it's the kind of thing where he can just, like, have a make a little hop and throw a kick up right where he's going to land back in his retreat just the yeah. same as he was because he's so fast right um but it's still it's it's a good idea to pressure any yeah. kicker and it's a good idea to pressure Yair because it's going to lead to takedowns it's going to lead to opportunities to land combos on him against the cage i think assuming Volkanovski pressures again you have to pick him yeah but it's just a lot of threat in this it matchup is. that he is going to have to deal with. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, it would be a big worry if Volkanovski let Yair pressure. You mean, it, he's, yeah. Volkanovski's great on the counter. He's great at having that right hand cocked to make you have to second and triple guess yourself every time you want to walk in on him. Yeah. And that sets up his ability to be a more nuanced fighter against pressure and to deconstruct pressure. Because every time you're hesitating, looking at that counter, he'll throw a little kick in or throw a jab in that disrupts your rhythm. So then you have to start over and pick the exact same battle over again. Yeah. But giving Yair time and space to lead, I don't. He's not the kind of fighter who thinks a lot about the dangers that might be present. No, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have to care. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, ah, I can take whatever shot. You've got a right hand there. I can eat that. I will yeah. just throw a tornado kick at you. Right. Are you ready for feet at five levels kind of thing? For all the problems Yair may have, letting them go uh, is not and has never been one of them. No. He will pull the trigger given yep. the opportunity. So, yeah. And he'll pull the trigger even when, again, even when Volk is pressuring. But allowing him to come forward, allowing even just sort of a neutral range thing for any amount of time is going to be very dangerous yeah great fight fantastic fight i mean you know watching volkanovsky watching him pressure people and like go after them and take a hard fight it's always oh yeah always a thrill yeah and yair just doesn't like go away easily like even when he gets tired he's going to continue to be dangerous and um yeah i just love seeing a great fighter like volkanovsky tested and there are some obvious avenues to try to take this fight down, but it is going to be a test the entire way. It's again, it's, it's not a, a title defense that you can just sort of take a, as a matter of course. Yeah. It's Unfortunately, a, I, I don't think he, Volkanovsky is either, you know, no, I one of those things, so how much weight do you give what people say in the, in the interviews and all that, but he sounds very uh, committed to the idea 
that Yaya Rodriguez is extremely dangerous. Yeah, he's a, he's a pro, man. Like he, yeah, he is. It's a reason he's gotten vastly better with almost each performance, even pretty late into his career. Like he is a a real student of the game who takes his fights extremely seriously. Yeah, and uh, and just has that championship quality of just like refusing to be beaten. We. Uh, uh, Nate did a little like transcript of like Volkanovsky breaking down his own fight uh, with Makachev recently. Right. Yeah. And I hate to say it, but he's also just dreadfully boring to hear talk about his own work. <laughs> <laughs> like me. Just well, yeah. He's like I mean. me for real. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but he's just like very analytical when it comes to fighting. He's well, he's, but he's also just so like he's in his own mind. He knows exactly what he's, what's going on. But when he's like watching something breaking down, he's like, Oh yeah, here's the part here. Come. Oh yeah. No, no. He didn't think I could do that, but I did it. You're like, (laughs) okay, that's the least interesting way you could have talked about (laughs) what just happened. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't have a future uh, career in commentary. I don't uh... think so. But, (laughs) But no, I mean, the man is, he is clearly dedicated and focused and, you know, it's a camp that he's got, I mean, because it's not just, he's not just city kickboxing. He's got his own thing too, but Mm -hmm. there are, there seems to be some really good coaching down there, you know? Yeah. I loved really. Yeah. I caught a moment from Eugene Behrman in, uh, in the third fight with Holloway that I, I think just really demonstrated that they are operating on the same sort of wavelength mm-hmm. where he was like, it, it just showed me that they, the way that they understand fighting is that uh, Volk came out, you know, he's working his jab and firing his counters and Behrman is screaming like he's completely lost his range. He's completely lost his range. Like they were really, really focusing on um getting a sense of the distance and Mm -hmm. taking that sense away from Holloway. This is not the kind of thing that every MMA coach has their fighters fixating on. No, no. It's usually just, he's tired. Yeah, exactly. He's tired or you got to go at him or whatever. He was like, no, no, we're, we're thinking about the sort of nuances of how to control a fight. Even when you're both apparently moving freely in open space. Yeah. No, that's there, there's some clever coaching there, and it shows through Volkanovski because he's always incredibly prepared. Yeah, he said he's completely lost his range. Keep drawing him out. Keep drawing mm-hmm. him out, and that was exactly how he beat Holloway. Oh yeah, no, I mean that third that third fight against Holloway was just a masterclass. It, it was a masterpiece. He's like, I've never, and we will probably never ever see Holloway deconstructed like that again. Where he just didn't have an avenue into that fight yeah. at all. Yeah. Nobody shuts Max Holloway out of the fight. Yeah. Volkanovski is the favorite here. Opened at minus 476. Currently at minus 357. Yeah, Rodriguez opened at plus 324. Is currently down at plus 297. That all seems fair and, and good to me. I can even see why the odds would be getting shorter a bit. Because as we just talked about, yeah, it's a very, very dangerous He's an yeah. extreme wild card. Yeah, and Volkanovski is not the most durable fighter in the sport either. Yeah, he's, he's not. We've seen him hurt several times in this career. He recovers really well. Yeah, but yeah, it's the danger he's is not, real. He's not un. He is not so durable that you would think oh, Volkanovski can never get knocked out. And right. also, it's worth noting, 
especially new Volk, new thoughtful Volk of the modern, you know, the last six or seven years or so, it's not much of a finisher either. It's not, it's not his focus. It's not what he's trying to do. And it doesn't happen. Like, yeah, he just doesn't like, he just doesn't push it crazily when it's not there. I think, I don't think it's impossible that he finishes Yair. He could. Likely with some ground and pound. He certainly finished the hell out of the Korean zombie. Yeah, but when it's there on the table, he will yeah. he will snap I, it off. Unfortunately, th- that is also a a post unbreakable Korean zombie. That is yeah. Korean Korean zombie well into the fragile years. Yeah, but I'm just saying if uh, if Frankie Edgar can finish you with strikes, sure, sure, it, it could uh, happen. You don't have to. You don't necessarily have to permanently crack Yair's chin to sure. just wear him out and beat him with attrition on the ground and. No, it could happen. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that m- most likely Volkanovski is looking at giving you Rodriguez five rounds to work and be dangerous. Most likely. Not not certain, but I I kind I kind of disagree. You think he's most likely going to finish him within five rounds? I don't know that he's. Uh, if I would say he's most likely going to finish him, but I I disagree that he's coming in with the approach where he's like, I'm going to give you five rounds. Oh, I don't think he ever thinks that. No, okay, almost right. no fighter ever thinks that. Yeah, I think he wants That's... to shut him out of the fight completely, and sure, I, I... And in such a way that uh, he is going to be looking for the finish at all times. He just doesn't push it recklessly, you know. He's he's you know he's like Michael. He's he's in some ways Michael Bisping 3.0. You know, from this like is a disgusting comparison, which I refuse to acknowledge. But like, there, there were a there was a long time where Bisping was like, he came up as a really violent finisher. Yeah, and then he gets to the UFC, and there was just this big focus on like becoming a more technical kick kickboxer, and you you know the, the violence was still obviously there in Bisping's game, and late in his career, he brought it back. Yeah. But for a long time, it just was not, it was clearly not at the the forefront of his mind when he was fighting. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I, I'm not saying that Volkanovsky can't, doesn't have power or that he doesn't want to finish fights. A lot of yeah. every fighter, like I say, pretty much every fighter wants to finish their fights. It's of just course. That, he's just, he's not fixated on it at the cost of. Yeah. He will never step out of yeah, he will never step out of what works and what makes sense to right. pursue an opportunity that might not be there. Yeah, but that you can watch fights like the one with Brian Ortega. Like, the dude does have a chip on his shoulder. He definitely, oh, yeah. you know, he even, like, gassed a little bit late in that fight because he did go super hard trying to punish Ortega for daring to attack him. Oh, yeah. No, uh, so, yeah, yeah, there's definitely still that finisher's instinct in Volkanovski. I'm just saying, if I were if I were a gambling man, my get my bet would be that yeah, Rodriguez sees the final bell. Yeah, I, I would um I, I would put Volkanovski at some kind of like a tritive ground and pound TKO in round like four or later at like thirty five percent. I I don't think that's particularly unlikely. Sure. Okay. Fair enough. Let's uh, jump over to our flyweight bout, our co-main event, Brandon Moreno, Alessandra Pantoja. And this is kind of a weird setup because 
you have these two men who have met twice before, in fact. Yeah. And Pantoja has won both fights. And the potential for him to win this one is right there. Mm -hmm. But it also feels like Brandon Moreno should win it. It's uh, it's the classic uh, case of uh, almost every time we get a, like a drawn out series between two fighters in MMA, we have to ask ourselves like how much of their previous results were down to in like the innate style matchup, uh-huh. and how much of that might have changed as one of these fighters has developed. And I, I yeah, you know, it's there's cause for concern, but I think it's impossible to look at even just that last fight and not see that Brandon Moreno is a vastly different fighter. Yeah. From, from the guy he was then. Yeah. He's really, he's become much more patient. They used to be like, I remember back in the tough days, back when he lost to Pantoja the first time, my thought, Brandon Moreno was the kind of fighter who he basically fought like he was being loaded into a, a human slingshot <laughs> every time. Yeah. Where it would just be like, okay, I'm set back like 10 feet away from you. And I am going to throw a couple windmills and a flying knee. I mean, he kind of fought a lot like Alessandro Pantoja for being, for being real. Yeah. Just a lot less physically authoritative, which yeah. is why he got crushed by him. Yeah, and and he would clash with people, and he didn't care if he got taken down. He would often start his all of his grappling exchanges at a disadvantage a disadvantaged position because he would just fling himself into somebody yep. and let come what may. A lot like Charles Jordan, too. If you want yeah. to think about it like that, that's another dude who fights that way and, and they who often both, gets taken down. And they have has, both kind of developed in somewhat similar ways to yeah. being more patient, more methodical, and both have developed excellent jabs. Yeah. And that is that to me is the really like screamingly obvious thing you notice when you watch that last fight with Pantoja. Brandon Moreno did not have a jab. Yeah. I don't mean like he, he didn't know how to use it. He literally didn't have one. He would paw with his lead mm-hmm. hand. At no point did he have any idea that he could snap <laughs> the guy who has smaller reach that he could snap the shorter guy's head back with a stiff jab. And that is now like the cornerstone of his game. Yeah. And it's something that I think fighting, uh, Davis and Figueredo really had to yeah. bring out of his game as well, because Figueredo is such a beast inside yeah. that you've got to have something there. To, you've got to meet him with something at a range where Figueredo is going to be yeah. least able to compete. And Pantoja and Figueredo are in many ways quite similar, as you can yeah. you can see from their fight that like you just don't you just don't blunder into the pocket against a guy like Pantoja. No, you got to hit him first. You have to dictate the exchanges. You have to take advantage of the fact that he's not a very good defensive fighter, and you got to yep. snap his head back and then get away when he tries to you know come roaring back at you. Yeah. And that's the other thing that's interesting about Pantoja, then, is I don't know if there was a point where he was really kind of... I, I would never say he was dialing it back. But, you know, he had that loss to Figueredo where he kind of met the... You know, he met somebody who was who had his same te- tendency to bully, 
but was yeah. just bigger and stronger than him. Yeah. And it kind of cowed him. And yeah, I think he was a little more patient in the couple fights to follow. Yeah. And maybe up through the, the cop fight. Yeah. He was more trying to, like, break people down with kicks. and Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you get these last two fights against Alex Perez and Brandon Royval. Yep. And suddenly Pantoja is just back to being, he's very much like, he, he's basically a tiny little Benil Dariush now. Yeah, he couldn't keep that caged for long. <laughs> no, he's just like, I need to him. run at people and stomp them, and yeah. I am just going to stomp them as hard as I can, as much as I can, and we'll see what shakes out. Like, yep. no second thoughts at, at this point with Pantoja. Yep, he's a mauler. He really is. And I think that, I mean, that should be good for Brandon Moreno right now. The man with a jab, with the ability to, uh, you know, survive grappling with Pantoja, as he showed in his, in their second fight, mm -hmm. he was able to at least survive on the ground. He didn't just get uh, submitted by Pantoja that, yeah. that second time. He's just a lot harder to take down from the outset now. Yeah, and he's a lot harder to take down now. And he actually took Pantoja down a couple times in that fight. Not didn't get any any control over Pantoja for it, but this version of Pantoja, like if Pantoja fights Brandon Moreno the the way he fought uh, Brandon Royville, mm -hmm. I just think. Moreno right now is much more able to take the points where Pantoja started flagging badly and turn that into safe momentum building offense for himself. Mm -hmm. Where he can just keep scrambling with uh, Pantoja and keep tiring him out that way if he has to. And then if they if Pantoja gets up, he's going to have to meet a jab head on. Whereas for Royville, he could scramble with Pantoja and did. But whenever it got standing, Royville had no escape but to immediately car crash into Pantoja again. Yeah. And, you know, also, as you've seen in that fight and multiple others, that like scrambling with Pantoja is really hard. Yeah. It, it takes a huge amount of energy because he fights like a wild animal on the ground and mm. is constantly threatening the back, constantly fighting for superior position. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's... I wouldn't advise Brandon Miranda to do a lot of grappling with Pantoja in this fight. Maybe later, if he can slow Pantoja down, that becomes a good idea, but... Yeah, I mean, his best idea would be to be on his jab and on his bike. Yeah, Pantoja is such a dangerous grappler that he has gotten away for the course of an entire very long career with, like, not really being a good wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> He's strong. He can, he can horse people around, but, like, uh, if he couldn't just teleport to people's backs, like, halfway through a failed wrestling sequence, uh, his wrestling game would be, like, uh, a serious, serious detriment. It hasn't been. He's physical enough to, to work with what he's got. And he's skilled enough in the transitions to grappling to uh, to make even bad takedown attempts really work for him. 
he's, yeah. he's just a super dangerous scrambly grappler. Yeah, yeah, the concern here, honestly, for me with Royville is that, or with uh, Moreno, rather, is that it, there is still, like, I mean, partially, I think it's just how much he had to fight Figueredo. But there is still a part of me that feels like Moreno is trying to often trying to like sort the fight out in his mind as he goes mm-hmm. where it's not necessary. Like he's not necessarily leaning so confidently on the tools that he has at his disposal that he can't just be caught out in bad defensive moments of indecision. Mm-hmm. I-, I think what I see in Moreno is that he, he has, he gets fixated on like favorite ideas Mm-hmm. He comes into a fight. He's like, I'm going to do this cool new thing I learned or this particular thing I drilled. And yeah, he gets caught like. Um, just looking for that one opportunity to exactly, do Exactly. Ra- rather yeah. than just always taking what is given to him. I think it results in a tendency to sometimes fight down mm-hmm. to the level of his opposition. And it just means that there's almost always a couple moments in any yeah. uh, Moreno fight where you're like, oh, wow, you just got put in a really bad spot right yeah. now and you're going to have to figure out how to get out of it. Like, you know, Figueredo had a, a takedown and a couple of sub attempts just in the, in the first two rounds of that fight where yeah, it wasn't anything that, that close, but it just felt like Moreno walked himself into the the area of the fight that was very dangerous for him just because he wanted to try, as you say, he was fixated on having one kind of fight with Figueredo. I also just think that both Figueredo and Moreno just got really tired of fighting each other too, which is how, why it's kind of hard <laughs> to judge based just off that. Mm-hmm. But it is, it is a worry because he's lost. Moreno's lost this fight a couple of times and Pantoja is the kind of dude that, you know, you'd give him, those chances yeah and he will he will absolutely try to make everything out of that yeah he's only got one minute of success in a fight that is going to be the most dangerous minute of his opponent's life yeah pantoja i mean before figueredo came around uh i would have called pantoja the most physically imposing fighter at flyweight Mm -hmm. he's he's not big but Mm -hmm. he's really strong he hits like a truck. Um, he's super durable. He's just like, uh, he just smashes through things. Yeah. And, um, and he is also, he's sort of like our boy Douglas De Silva in that he had a lot of rawness to his technique, but he is yeah. a surprisingly crafty fighter. Yeah. He's a really good sort of like instinctive trigger counterpuncher. Mm-hmm. He puts his combinations together, like, without fail. He usually puts at least two punches out there on the counter. He often ends with a kick. Um, He uses his jab. Like, he can be hit. He can be tested in all these moments. But he he is just like a Wolverine. He's just really difficult to deal with in any kind of pocket exchange. Does look at this point like he was raised by Wolverines too. Yes, like, he's just so shaggy and angry. Yeah, and it works yeah. for him. He's he's a handsome man, that little dude, that Pantoja. 
He should uh, he should hook up with Alan Joban and find out how to get into. A, is there is there a line in modeling for really small dudes? <laughs> <laughs> Pro- probably not. No. Probably not. No. It's, a, it's a biased business model. Yeah, yeah. He can, but uh, he can model tween wear. <laughs> <laughs> the kids collection. Uh, he'll have to shave for that, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think the way to to deal with Pantoja here is to be very clinical. Yeah. I think stick and move. Like that's yep. the name of the game. You you can you have the reach advantage. You now have the tools to actually exploit that. Namely the jab. You have the fact that Pantoja, like a lot of his counterpunching is built on like getting hit first. Yeah. You yeah. know, and then just surging back. And because he's not a great technician, he tends to surge back at you in straight lines. Mm-hmm. He just bulls forward. There's a lot of room to just sting him and sidestep and rinse yep. and repeat. And I, I think that's the way to deal with Pantoja is just break him down slowly. And use that reach, use that jab. Um, and yeah, my, my, my only real concern here is, is again, that, that tendency of Moreno's to kind of fight down to his opponent. Yeah. And he's, he's literally done that before. If he allows this fight to get really scrappy, there's no reason Pantosha can't just bring back some horrible old memories of their, their previous fights. Yeah. I love Pantosha, man. I'm, oh, I'm very... Very glad that he's finally getting a shot at the title. I don't know that he's he's going to win, but he he learned from Jacare's mistake that you've. Mm. I mean, if you've uh, seen recent interviews from Jacare, that Jacare very much laments quite badly uh, that when you get in position where you're the obvious next title challenger, yeah, just sit and wait. Right. If it takes a year, if it takes a year and a half. If it takes two years, just sit and wait. This is yep. the one time in your career where you're going to get this chance. And if you let it slide away, the UFC will happily they'll stick you into the toughest fights they can for as long as they can until you start losing them, and then they'll forget about you. Yeah. You know? So I'm very happy, too, that he earned his shot. Yeah. And then he just said... I'm okay. I'm waiting. I will he's wait just, until he's just been like one of the most exciting fighters in the division since, you know, basically his whole career. But certainly since he showed up in the UFC, he's just been a thrill a minute almost every time out. Like who wouldn't yeah. want to see a fighter like that earn his shot at the title? Yep. Odds on the bout Moreno uh, opened at minus 182. It's currently minus 185. So not a lot of movement on these lines. Uh, Pantoja opened at plus 140. Is currently at plus 165. They got to stay close. Pantoja's won this fight twice. Yep. Moreno rarely has fights where, you know, he, the clinical approach is the right approach. Moreno rarely has a fight where he really just can sit on a clinical mistake-free performance. There's no, you know, there, there are very few fights. Maybe that Cara France fight is as close as he's come. Uh, where you're just like, oh, he didn't let this opponent, this guy into the, in, into the fight at all. But even then, I mean, yeah. Cara France had some good success in that bout. Yeah, and I thought that was a fight where Brandon made some questionable decisions. Yeah. 
So may, I may be just rem- misremembering. It's he, Moreno has never been a fighter so clean that you can just be like, oh, yeah, this is in control and will stay in control the whole time. Yeah. It's, just, it's not, you know, it's, it's not too scrappy, too scrappy too for scrappy. his own good. Yeah. He came from that. Like I say, he came from that catapult idea of like, yeah, somebody just pulling the back of his shorts from across the cage and then releasing <laughs> him and then going over, grabbing him and pulling him back again. Corner, the starts of the fight, the corner, the corner man is reaching through the chain link and like grabbing his jock strap. Yeah. Yanking it back, one of those little cars that you have to exactly. back up and it zooms forward. Yes, that's <laughs> how they, he used to fight. Yeah, if they were fighting in a, a ring with ropes, he'd be, <laughs> he'd be bouncing off those suckers. Moreno would run. He would run the ropes, no question. <laughs> yeah. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout: Robert Whitaker, Drikus Duplessis. Oh Lord. We're going to talk about this a little bit at the in our bonus content just to tease it out there. But this is the uh, Grant Dawson, Demiris Magulov instance for me on this card. Mm. Where it's just like, man, if Drikus Duplessis beats Robert Whitaker, yeah. I will be depressed. Yep. Because there's nothing about his game that should beat Robert Whitaker. Nope. Literally he- nothing. The thing with Drakas and what makes him so fascinating and so hilarious to watch, yeah, is that he's actually quite bad at fighting. <laughs> yeah, really, honestly, he really is. There a single area of Drakas Duplessis' game where you would say that he has anything resembling good technique? No, no, not at all. I mean, usually quite the opposite. Again, yeah, he, he is a shambles. Yep. If he wasn't a great athlete, he wouldn't get away with any of it. Uh, if he wasn't so weirdly calm while he's doing this, yeah, uh, that's also something that works in his favor, that he is remarkably clear-headed while having the stupidest, most reckless fight imaginable. But he's just, he's just, he's actually bad at fighting. Mm-hmm. And part of his success, again, is the athleticism, the fact that he he does sort of understand how to, like, make adjustments or at least try different things out and keep, and, ham- and keep hammering the things that's working. Yeah. But another part of it is that he's fighting guys who are, like, at the end of their primes mm-hmm. uh, or well past them, like Brad Tavares and Derek Brunson, or guys who are never really very good, like Darren Till. Or Trevin Giles. Or Trevin Giles. Yeah, the, the ease with which he took Darren Till down is not a credit to Duplessis' excellent wrestling game. No. It is that Darren Till literally does not know how to sprawl. Yep. As we saw in the Derek Brunson fight and the Tyron Woodley fight for Till. Like, he literally can't wrestle. No, his his entire wrestling game is built like is built entirely off of cage, cage grappling. Yeah. Yeah, he is and a like fighter being who, big and threatening you with the with the collar ties. Well, and he's a fighter who you know they clearly in the gym, they all of the, his wrestling practice was done with his back against the fence. Yeah, I can just Where, recall Daniel Cormier's like utter disbelief watching that one. Yeah, uh, the Till Duplessis fight, as he was like, he was shocked at how bad Darren's reactions to any kind of shot in open space was. Yep. He 
it was like he's just not he's not getting his legs back. Yeah. He's not even trying. He's just like standing there like flat footed while a guy is grabbing his his hips and he's like, maybe I'll try an underhook. And then he's down on his ass. Mm-hmm. Cormier was like disgusted by it. He was like, he's just not doing the right things. Yeah. So yeah, Duplessis has has gotten away with an awful lot for a shocking, uh, shockingly long time. But that's middleweight. That's middleweight. Yeah, that ha- this happens. It's 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 uh, a slightly lesser degree of something we see at heavyweight all the time, where somebody just rockets to the top with the surprisingly favorable matchmaking. At middleweight, the thing is, yeah, you got a lot of old guys who are crafty, and so they're hanging around, but they're vulnerable. And you get a lot of guys with really narrowly defined games yep. that you can work around. And that is what Duplessis has gotten thus far. Robert Whitaker is like, he, she doesn't represent any of those things. No. Like, this is a fight where I feel like if Robert Whitaker felt like out-wrestling Duplessis to win, he could do it. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's no reason he couldn't out-wrestle Duplessis. Yeah. Like, can we, you, you recall that reactive shot Duplessis went for against Derek Brunson? Mm-hmm. Brunson was just like flying at him. He's like, I'm going to change levels. And he just got bowled over. <laughs> yeah. He, he just like squatted down on his tippy toes. You know, that stance you adopt that when your asshole friend walks up and just pokes you in the chest, you just fall over. Mm-hmm. That's not how you go for a shot. <laughs> no, <laughs> That's not a level change. <laughs> he just got knocked over. Like, yeah, he just like makes it up as he goes along. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rod Whitaker could out wrestle him if he wanted to. He should be able to just light his ass up with jabs. Yeah. Just run the classic Robert Whitaker performance. Jab him, kick him in the head once per round. Yeah, it should be it should be easy work for Robert Whitaker. Plus, he can't cut off the cage. His combinations are exceedingly obvious. He's not even like as fast as Derek Brunson was when Brunson fought Whitaker. Yep. He just like blunders forward with these huge windmill punches. Um, yeah. Robert Whitaker should take him to school. Yeah. The one thing I will say, I don't have a lot to add to that, really. The one thing I will say, though, that is in Duplessis credit and favor as a fighter. Um. Not not even something he does better than Whitaker, but just in general that he does really well is that he seems intensely good at recognizing what point and what part of the fight his opponents his opponent starts to hate. Yeah, that's what I mean. He's clear-headed, and he is paying attention. Yeah. Like you he, would not expect he, him to be a calculator based on his, you know, everything he yeah, does. It, but he it is. is it, it is a, like, caveman calculator where it's just got <laughs> one big button on it that just <laughs> says, like, one. It's just, it, it yeah. is a calculator that only has the button one. No adding, no Add subtracting. Rock. Yeah, no, one rock. Yeah. One more rock. One more rock. Now three rocks. No, it doesn't even do the three rocks. It's just <laughs> more than before. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. is just a <laughs> or the, the the Terry Pratchett one too many lots, you know, from the the uh the trolls, the troll math. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's he he's that kind of calculated, but it is like a recognition still for him that like you know he'll get taken he got taken down and whooped by Derek Brunson, but he could also tell that it's like oh Derek Brunson really hates trading with me. Yeah, he Just, hates this pressure. He hates these exchanges. Yeah, I is, will. Yeah. He he has the one essential thing that I talk about all the time that like marks someone as um, good enough to be a professional fighter or not. Yeah, which is that when something works, he notices and he keeps doing it. Yep. He doesn't he doesn't forget what works once it once it has occurred to him. He might blunder into the thing that works, but yeah, he is paying attention. He, it is very much throwing spaghetti at the wall to see if it's <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's just, it always amazes me when you have Duplessis at the end of one of these fights, just like gasping for breath. Um, <laughs> and he's just like clearly recalling specific exchanges like yeah. much better fighters can't do that because of the adrenaline they're operating under. Volkanovsky couldn't have done that after his fight with Mahachev, and he's a very calculating fighter. It is a weird thing with Duplessis how clear headed he is yep. in these stupid, chaotic fights. Yeah. Whitaker really should just truck him. Speaking of gasping for breath, uh, he's had his nose corrected, so he is now operating at 100% oxygen. No boy. According to his trainers. His his blood has actually now been fully replaced with oxygen. He's actually going to float into the cage. You know what? That sounds dangerous to me. I'm, I'm worried for Whitaker now. He's just going to be hovering around. His corner is going to direct him where to go with a string tied to his ankle. That's a new. That's a new MMA mythical fighter. Is full, <laughs> fully oxygenated. Drikus Duplessis. <laughs> Undeviated septum. Drikus Duplessis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's dangerous. No, Whitaker. I mean, we just. You know, we've seen the Cannoneer fight. We've seen the Vittori fight. We've seen the Gastelum fight. And. Yeah. The Jacare fight, for that matter, like you, know, you get Romero like a, fights, you get like a sort of slow, clumsy, awkward striker, and Whitaker just puts on a seminar. Yeah, not that he did against Romero, but Romero's, you know, that. I mean, the the question for Whitaker really would be: Is uh, there any? Romero, can like Drikus Duplessis accident himself into the version of Romero in those fights? It's possible. Just a a massive golem in front of you that wants to go to war all the time? Possible. Derek yeah. Brunson, as messy as he is, he was able to keep Whitaker pretty uncomfortable until he got, you know, his clock cleaned. Yeah. Romero got tuned up with jabs, but he was still there looking for opportunities and, and found them. Jared Cannonier hurt Whitaker with like 30 seconds to yeah. go. We've, we've talked. There is this thing with Whitaker. It's less now. He is, he's erased a lot of it, but the big thing, the big, the big uh, flaw in Whitaker's game used to be, and it might still be there for this fight really because he, the opportunities will be there. Yeah. Is it Whitaker? rarely he any opportunity he sees he will chase yep he doesn't turn down the follow-ups easily yeah so if he's landing a one two he will step in and go for that three as well and he has been caught in numerous fights and hurt in numerous fights getting countered on the last shot of a combo yeah so and he can get knocked out 
and he yeah. can get hurt. Um, but yeah, he should be able to reset that nose of Drikus uh, yeah. within minutes. I mean, he should just be landing jabs on him all day. Yep. Odds on the fight. Whitaker is a solid favorite, unsurprisingly. Opened at minus 370, currently minus 375. Duplessis opened at plus 267, currently at plus 309. Odds getting a little wider on Duplessis. It makes sense. We've just seen Whitaker in so many of this caliber of fight against very dangerous opponents. And if it's not somebody that can actually out-technique him kickboxing yeah. move for kickboxing move the the last time Whitaker lost any other fight to any other kind of dude was against Court McGee in 2013 yeah every other fight after that it's been Stephen Thompson and Israel Adesanya guys that could make him pay for chasing his combinations with sharper technique mm-hmm. so all right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Jalen Turner, Dan Hooker, and on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely do you think Dan Hooker is going to regret turning away the opportunity to fight Tony Ferguson after this fight? I don't know what that's about. What happened? Apparently, for uh, Hooker, he broke his hand going into the last he, when he was scheduled to fight Turner uh, a few mo- a few months ago, and he had to get pulled from that fight, and he didn't know if he'd get to fight Turner again, if they would rebook that fight or whatever. So he started thinking of other fights he could take, and he called his manager up and was like, "Oh, hey, what about like fighting this top ranked lightweight? What do you think of that?" And his manager was like, "Oh, actually, I'm working on a Tony Ferguson fight for you," and Hooker was disgusted and appalled at the idea of potentially fighting Tony Ferguson. Oh no. What was his reasoning that he just didn't think it was, it was beneath him. Yeah, pretty much that Ferguson is an old dude on his way out and hooker only wants to fight the top guys on their way up. That is the only kind of fights he wants. I mean, respect, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like Dan hooker ain't a young man anymore either. No, uh, he's had some difficulties very recently. Maybe uh, it would be a good idea to get like a name that a certain level of casual fans still respect that everyone who's paying attention. Uh, obviously, Dan Hooker is one of those guys. Knows yep. is a pretty forgiving matchup. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because I look at this fight. I, I thought coming into this, like, you know, I might have some trouble picking this. Uh-huh. Uh, two big rangy guys, um, who both have, they're, they're very well-rounded, but they have games that they would really prefer to be playing. Yeah. And if they get taken out of that fight, then it's a lot tougher for them. Right. You know, it seems like, okay, this is, this is going to be pretty cool. Then I started watching tape and I'm like, you know what? Jalen Turner is just going to walk away with this. I think. I don't know that I feel that, but um, I, I am going to pick Turner. I, I just think that you look at the kind of fights that Hooker had with Arnold Allen and with Edson Barboza and with Dustin Poirier and with Michael Chandler, mm-hmm. even. And 
when Hooker Hooker can be very easily trapped into a kickboxing match that he doesn't have a quick answer for. Yeah. When he's faced with somebody who is just bigger, faster, or more determined than him. Yeah. Like, if he's the big man out there, if he's the big powerhouse in the ring or in the cage, then Hooker fights with a lot of confidence and creativity. And he has, you know, some good form. He's got good power. He knows how to really be a sharp fighter on the counter. Mm -hmm. But then you take that same kind of fighter against somebody like Arnold Allen, who's just like, I am going to go bananas and just march this guy down. Yeah. Or Michael Chandler, who's just like, I am going to pressure you and set up a huge shot. And what's your answer for this one huge punch that I am going to pressure you with? You can see it coming. I know what I'm doing. You know what I'm doing. But here is the determination and the power. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? And Hooker has a lot of trouble staying away from that kind of power and determination. Yeah. And and I look at the fight then that uh, Jalen Turner had with Mateusz Gamrot Mm -hmm. last time out. And Gamrot is a really tough dude to fight around. Mm Mm-hmm. He is a very difficult fighter to approach and just say, oh, I'm I'm going to take a fight to you because you know that Gamrod is going to make that fight incredibly difficult. He is going mm-hmm. to chain wrestling attacks. He is going to he's just he's just going to be difficult and he's going to make he's going to make things hard on you. And Turner he didn't win that fight, but he spent the whole time just marching Gamrod down and being yeah, like, and it, was, it was also I thought he did win. I mean, yeah. It was one of several Mateusz Gamrod fights where the judges really liked wrestling that night. Yeah. And did not necessarily uh, seem to notice all of the effective shots being landed. Yeah. Often, often, like, on the way to one of those takedowns, Gamrod would get, like, staggered, and eh, they just liked the but takedowns. It was a great opportunity for Turner to look a little more cautious, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. To be like, oh, man this guy is a, he's a huge pain in the ass and he can take me into a place where I don't want to fight. Yeah. I I thought all things considered, he dealt with the wrestling and grappling better than I expected. Yeah. It was very methodical with, with his pressure. Yeah. And he did it with consistent confidence. Like, mm-hmm. Oh no, I've got the right idea. The right idea is to pressure you and go after you. And with his speed and power, I just think that that is just going to make, make, I, if he does that to Hooker, I think it'll just make Hooker supremely uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I think that certainly could happen. I, I think the thing with Dan Hooker is, uh, which explains some of those matchups, is he's a certain kind of slow starter. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not that, I mean, he's knocked several people out in the first round. Not like he isn't dangerous, but he's, he tends to start fights wanting to just sort of passively gather information. Yeah. And this works really well when he is significantly taller than his opponent, which is why the guys he's knocked out quickly are like Jim Miller and Gilbert Burns. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or like Ross Pearson, although that may have been in the second round. Yeah. But he, he's out there and, and these guys have to do a lot of extra work to get into range. Mm-hmm. And so he can get away with just kind of moving and seeing what they do to try to make that happen. And um, he might gather the necessary information quite quickly, but he is not necessarily like enforcing his range and no. like seizing the initiative. He's going to let them come in so he can walk them onto something. Yeah. Yo, Hooker is definitely, he's a kind of fighter that if over the course of, you know, he will often, and I think in his preference, he'd like to have a middle distance kickboxing match. That's a very prototypical slow MMA kickboxing match. We're like, oh, okay, you try your thing. I'll try my thing. You try your thing. I'll try my thing. And once he finds a thing that, that really works and clicks for him, Mm-hmm. and hurt starts to hurt an opponent, that's when you see Hooker really, like, suddenly come alive with the violent part of his fight, the, the part of yeah. his fight that can be really pressuring and aggressive and seem like a momentum-building inevitability. Yeah. is he's, he's great at when he gets a little opportunity, he will lever it wide open. Right. And this is this is part of his, like, fighting tall rather than long kind of style mm-hmm. um yeah he, he wants you to step in and uh, again like run you into something he's got the knees and the uppercuts and the guillotine all of these are essentially kind of reactive mm-hmm. um and so yeah that's why guys like michael chandler just blow him out of the water because he's like yeah. okay what are you going to do and what they're going to do is run in and smash him to pieces mm-hmm. um I don't think this probably looks much like that, but the difficulty here is that this is like the only time ever Dan Hooker is fighting someone taller than him. Yeah. So a lot of his game, a lot of the really specialized, dangerous parts of his game just don't really work against somebody who just like doesn't have to change levels or get low to, to close the distance. And uh, Turner is also um, kind of specialized as a tall fighter. But he is the tall fighter in this matchup. Yeah. Um, I think if Dan Hooker has any success, it will be because Jalen Turner also doesn't start super fast. I think there's a big chance of that because he is learning to be more methodical with his pressure. And Dan Hooker will have chances to kind of find body shots and low kicks, things like that. Land his jab, land hooks to the body land like calf kicks as like flat-footed Turner is sort of marching forward. Um, but I just don't really know how Dan Hooker's game operates as the shorter man. I just, I think it's going to be not good is my, my feeling of how it's going to operate is that yeah, the, the best, the best versions of Dan Hooker are insulated by reach and yeah, this is a fight where he's just not going to have that insulation. Then I have seen fights where, you know, somebody pressures Dan hooker a bunch and he can just be run over. Yeah. And I really like what I've seen. I like Turner, not just because, you know, that's not just the camera, but also like Brad Riddell. I realize Riddell seems to have been in a bad place mentally going into that fight. Yeah. But Turner just went out and just trucked him. Yep. 
And yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I don't feel quite as strongly. I, I I think Turner still has a lot to prove, but I tend to agree that yeah, like, Turner is younger. His his career is on the upswing, even with a little speed bump in Gamrod. It was a good performance. Mm-hmm. He's clearly getting better with each with each fight, and Hooker is headed in exactly the opposite direction. And um, Turner's, I think, a little more powerful. Yeah, he's bigger. Um, he's just he's, faster too. Like, he's faster, yeah. And like the the more specialized parts of his tall man game are like they might actually work here. Who has ever walked up to Dan Hooker and just like collar tied him and yanked his head down? Yeah, no kidding. Nobody, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I have to pick Turner as well. Yeah, I. You know, because that, that yeah, it's the thing too. Like Hooker's not. He's not the worst grappler and he can wrestle a little, but it's not That's a true. game. It's not a game that he goes to happily. No. Well, that Gamron guy can wrestle a little bit too. And it yeah. doesn't necessarily win no. a clean fight for him. He's a significantly no. better takedown artist than Dan. And he really is. So it was yeah. still a huge struggle for Gamron. I, I think that Dan, I think Hooker's going to get the kind of fight he thinks he wants here. And it's yeah, just going to be yeah. really bad for him. Yeah, that could be. So. That is my feeling. Like I say, I, I went into that expecting, like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to sort through some things here. And then I'm watching it. I'm like, no, no. I just, I feel it in my bones now. This is a bad fight for Dan Hooker. Mm. Uh, Turner opened at minus 200. It's currently down to minus 252. Hooker opened at plus 153. It's currently up at plus 218. And that brings us to our final uh, fight of the main card. Bo Nickel. Val Woodburn and um, yeah, the, I, I watched a little tape on Woodburn and um, this isn't this isn't a difficult fight to call. Yeah, he's a guy. He's a guy. Uh, he's a hell of a muscly guy. Sure. Yeah, well, he's a guy. Yeah. Great name, by the way. Valentine Woodburn. Right. That is like a that's like that's a, a rom- name. That's a romance novel name. That or like it could easily be from like a like a John Price like a like a crime novel. Oh yeah, yeah, name. yeah, yeah. Valentine Woodburn. You know That's this right. guy. This guy runs Eighth Street. You know, and especially especially though the idea that like everybody ha- everybody calls him Val. Yeah, and people are like going to be like, oh, what's what's Val short for? And like nobody ever calls him Valentine because like. You know, such but a he hard would say thing it. He would at. say it. He would say it to you if you asked him without an ounce of shame. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Valentine, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a very, very. And poetic. everybody else would be like, "Don't ever call him Valentine." <laughs> <laughs> it's a very poetic name. It's really yeah, good. It is. Um. Yeah, he's just a muscly guy. Like. Yeah. Uh, his game is really crude. He's clearly powerful. He's clearly physically strong. I mean, the yep. the physical strength is the thing to watch out for here for Bo Nickel because uh, Nickel obviously has a huge advantage in wrestling technique and is obviously a good athlete. But uh, Woodburn is the type of just tank of a man that you might just smash into and be like, oh, he didn't move like I thought he would. Uh, I thought I had him off balance, but he grabbed an overhook and boy, this guy feels really heavy. Yep. Um. And yeah, I mean, the problems for Bo Nichols is that he's just not a good MMA fighter yet. Yep. He just isn't. Like, he started that fight with Jamie Pickett. He didn't 
like look bad. Jenny Pickett didn't give him a chance to look bad, but he did like do the classic novice MMA striker thing of starting from 24 feet away. Yeah. He doesn't know what striking distance is. Uh, at a certain point, he is going to really struggle, start struggling to set up his takedowns. Anybody with a modicum of wrestling technique, they don't have to be as good as him if they can sniff the shot out because it's coming from half a mile off. Yep. And, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I was going to say the big thing for me watching Woodburn too, a, this is probably, he's probably a future welterweight. If I had to guess, he looks like he's probably about five foot 10. Yeah. But man, he is thick. He is thick, but you know, I, Jeremiah Wells, Joaquin Buckley, sure. These kinds of dudes who have been able to, or, you know, somebody even like, um, chaos Williams, like these are guys who, could fight at middleweight and did in Buckley's case, but I think he's, he's going to find five, he's five, eight actually. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I think he's going to find in short order that the UFC middleweight division is full of guys who are, who could be heavyweights on an off diet week. Yeah. I mean, picture him fighting someone like Imovov. Yeah. Dwarfed by him. Uh, so there's that. And then the big thing that is unfortunate for Woodburn right now in this fight is that the only place he is comfortable punching is in a tie-up. Yeah. His his technique is terrible at range, and he's one of those dudes. He's got that that Nganu thing, uh, and it's a pretty common MMA thing anyway. Yeah. Where the moment he gets a collar tie, yep. suddenly you're like, oh, there's your punching form. I can see now everything just snaps into place. Yeah. It's because no, very few fighters have that thing that like Volkanovsky has. Yeah. Build, building a sense of range. Yep. Uh, and so they're just guessing. And yeah. once, once they have a hand on somebody, they know exactly where they are and the punches come very easily. Yep. And unfortunately that means that the place he's going to have the most potential for success is in tie-ups with Bo Nickel. Yep. Yep. And even if he didn't want to be there, also like so many MMA fighters, even significantly more experienced ones, he can't throw more than one punch without crowding himself. Yeah, exactly. He crashes forward, uh, whether he wants to or not. Pretty easy pick for Nickel, um, who is a prohibitive favorite. Minus 2,500 on most books right now. I'm sorry. Bo Nickel should not be a bigger favorite than Robert Whitaker over Drakus Duplessis. Yeah. He, he's not that good yet. Like, I get it. Yeah. Obviously, we're going to pick him without question here, really, but he, he is not a good MMA fighter yet. And Woodburn opened at plus 900 to plus 1200. Yeah, that's too wide. Uh, the, the other, I mean, obviously, the other thing here for Woodburn is he's, he's coming in on like two days' notice. So, right, right. But nonetheless, I, I agree. Nickel is at a place where. He's in that Aaron Pico zone where it's like, yeah, okay, this kid looks like an amazing prospect. And if he just gets blasted by some dude, that could happen at any time. Yeah, and Aaron Pico's MMA MMA career started with him already sort of knowing how to box. Yeah, exactly. So, like, he actually started from a much stronger place, admittedly in the deeper division, but still. I wouldn't put Bo Nickel if they matched him up against the soccer mom from Explode Fight Series, then maybe I could forgive those odds. But 
I wouldn't put him at the, that kind of favorite against virtually anyone at middleweight. Not not yeah. right now. All right. On that note, if you are not a subscriber to our Substack, subscribe to the Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack. That's the only way you're going to get our free bonus or our bonus content. Shouldn't say it's free because it's for subscribers. That's right. Not, not you. Not you, lazy bums. Filthy, um, filthy lice-ridden masses out yeah. there. This is super. This is supreme content. This is this is luxury <laughs> content. Could please sign up for the Bloody Elbow Executive Club. Executive Club. Anyway, <laughs> uh, and if you are signed up, then hey, we'll be right back in just a moment with uh, a little bit of bonus content here. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.